Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. I'll give you fair notice. I'm a, a pastor. I'm not an evangelist, although as Paul told Timothy, I try to do the work of an evangelist intermingled in my ministry. And so I figured that I preach best when I just preach in my gifting as a pastor. So uh, if I uh, start standing on people's toes, Pastor Brown, tell me when to get off. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, and I want to read just one verse, verse 20. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And I want to preach this morning, this afternoon, on this subject simply, the keeper of the keys. The keeper of the keys. Uh, we have a, I wish I had pictures. I'm not very good at, you know, the fancy sermon slides and pictures and all that. I find it to be too difficult. Um, but I wish I had some pictures of this that I could show you. Um, our church has a prison ministry. We joined together uh, with several other churches in the Texas uh, area, even across districts. And we partner with various churches and go into various prisons. And uh, I tell our people that if you've been baptized in Jesus' name and you're endeavoring to live for God, I encourage you to join up and go to one of these prison services. In fact, I'm not even too concerned that your sanctification is where it needs to be because when you hear that gate close behind you, you will suddenly get in tune with the Lord Jesus like you have never gotten in tune with the Lord Jesus. And you may come out more sanctified than you went in. Uh, This is a vital ministry for our church. Many lives have been changed in these prison services. And uh, one of the reasons, several reasons I like our church to go, one, we have an open door to preach the gospel. And I think we should go wherever the door opens. Another reason is it's a way that we can preach the gospel without any direct benefit as a church. Those people likely will never step foot into our church. They will never come and volunteer in our church, most likely. They'll never come and give offerings and tithes in our church. We are sowing seed into the kingdom that we will probably not reap. It'll be reaped somewhere else. But another reason I think it's very important to be involved in that ministry is if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you'll see something about preaching to those in prison in red letters. And uh, I don't purport to be a scholar, but I think those red letters are pretty important. And I'd at least like to check that off my list before I stand before the resurrected Christ. Uh, The last time that I went, I went to a unit called the Ferguson Unit. It's a high security unit. Actually, it's a maximum security unit. This is where the bad guys are, the really bad guys. The premises were surrounded by two fences. The fences were about 10 feet apart. And each fence, each fence was topped along the top and covered all along the sides with rows and coils of razor wire. The idea is if by chance or miracle you're able to get over that first fence... You're now in about a 10-foot little tunnel, and you've got another fence to go over. The reality is very few people without some sort of extraordinary help ever get out of that. It's just too complicated. One of the, uh, of course, there's guard towers that line the premises, and these guys are up there with high-powered rifles and scopes, and they're watching. And one of the unique features of the Ferguson unit that I noticed 
as we drove up, you see all of this rows of barbed wire, or actually it's razor wire. You see these guard towers, and right in the front, the front building of that whole campus is a chapel with a big steeple. And behind that barbed wire, you see the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a big steeple looms over that barbed wire, as a message of hope for everyone that steps behind that place. The chapel towers prominently behind the razor wire. And driving up, you see this, and it's a moving sight. It's overwhelming to see the grace of God that is able to even go behind the barbed wire. To enter this facility, if you've never been to a prison, it's different in every place, but to enter this facility, you walk up to a guard tower and you put your driver's license in a bucket because the guard's not coming down. And he raises the bucket up to his little shack up there, does whatever he does, checks you off of a list, and then he lowers your license back down to you. Once he agrees that you ought to be there, he pushes a button. And the gate to the first fence opens and you walk through that first fence that's covered in razor wire and the gate closes behind you. And there you're standing. There you're standing between these two fences. You're standing there with razor wire in front of you and razor wire behind you. And in just a few moments, the next gate opens as he pushes the next button. And you enter into the second fence and you're behind two fences now. And when that gate closes, you're suddenly made aware, I'm really not going to get out of here until someone decides they want to open this gate for me. And this sidewalk leads you to a building. And this building has a checkpoint much like an airport where you go and you walk through and you empty your pockets and you get scanned. You go through a a magnetic scanner thing. And even after this, it only gives you access to the administrative building. You're still not into the prison proper. There was a hallway that led around the side. We walked down this hallway and around a corner and we came to the steel door. The steel door that you hear slam behind you when you walk into the prison. This door is what separates the inmates from the administrative part of the facility. Behind these doors is a city all of its own. Back behind this door, there's a whole other world where people live their life. There's a, a unique code of conduct. In fact, there's a code of ethics behind that door. And if you live by that code, you can get along. But if you violate that code, it can cost you very dearly. Behind that gate, people make new friends. Behind that gate, people make new enemies. It's actually an interesting place. It's a place that's quite unique. And to to go in behind that place, you know that these are people that are going to live their life for years. They're going to learn new hobbies. Some of them will learn to live in structure. They'll learn to live with limitations. They'll learn to live in the heat and the cold. It's Texas and they don't have air conditioning in this place. There are long wide corridors and there's cell blocks and there's an infirmary and there's a cafeteria and a gym and a chapel. A self-contained world where people live their lives oblivious to what's going on in the outside world. And behind that door, that steel door, live those who have been convicted of crimes that have been deemed worthy of a person forfeiting his privileges, forfeiting his right to live with the rest of society. One of the things that struck me is right above that door that you enter into, there is a sign, and that sign says... No hostages exit through this door. The point is, if you go in, 
You will come out of your own accord or you will not come out. Outside this door, it's something that really caught my attention. Outside this door, there was a window where you have to leave again your driver's license. This room where the lady is that takes your license is heavily fortified. There's bars over the glass. The lady in this room has a button. And when she pushes the button, the door opens. No one gets in that door unless that lady behind the glass pushes the button. No one. It doesn't matter if you're the warden. It doesn't matter if you're a custodian. It doesn't matter if you're the preacher. Nobody gets past that door unless the lady pushes the button. But there was something more interesting even than this. There was a wall behind the lady. The wall was about as big as from this door, maybe, maybe as big as this little area here where this plant is. There was a wall there. And on that wall, the entire wall was covered with hooks. And the hooks were numbered. Every hook had a number on it. And on these hooks hang the keys for every door that was past the iron door. Every janitor's closet that had a lock, the key to the lock, hung on this wall. The key to every cell block, the key to the, to the chapel, the key to the infirmary, the key to the pantry, the key to everything hung on the wall behind the glass window where the little lady was. And no matter what someone's rank was, if they wanted to get into that door and if they wanted to get one of those keys, they had to persuade that little lady behind the glass to give me a key and to open this door up. To gain access, it didn't matter your rank, it didn't matter your power, it didn't matter if you were a politician. Every person had to walk past that little lady and ask for what they wanted to get access into that prison. It seemed to me that the keeper of the keys is the most important person on that entire prison campus. That person decides who comes in. It was that person that decided whether I, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, got to walk into that door and minister to someone that day. She had protocols, she had rules, she had a filter, she had a list, but ultimately she had to make a determination. Am I worthy to get through that door? Do I meet the qualifications to get through the door? As I stood there looking at this wall of keys, and as I reflected on this more in following days, it occurred to me that we all have locked doors that are throughout the corridors of our lives. And behind these locked doors are the secrets of what makes us who we are. The meaningful things in our lives. There is a key to each of these rooms. And unless the keeper of the keys hands over the keys, nobody gets in. Many of these locked doors conceal beautiful and powerful things, the mysterious things that make every human being what they are. Each of us has a storehouse of love. We have the capacity both to give love and to receive love. But if the door to our love is locked, we will not be able to receive love or to give love. Even though there are others who greatly desire to love us, Unless the keeper of the keys hands over the keys, we are incapable of receiving. It matters not that people desire to love us or to know us. 
If the keeper of the keys does not hand over the keys, the storehouse of love remains sealed and closed. We have wonderful gifts and we have wonderful callings which are locked away inside of us. Great treasures which we can use to bless others. Great treasures that we can use to change the world around us. Every person is uniquely gifted. Every person is uniquely called. Every person is fearfully and wonderfully made in the eyes of God. Your personality is a gift. Your personality is unique. It is a gift that runs deep inside of you and through which God can bless others. Each of us can touch the world in unique ways. But these talents and these treasures are locked away. There are also painful things. There are things that have been locked inside of many of us. There are things that we have buried deep within our spirits. They are locked behind closed doors. Locked behind these doors are the pains of disappointments from years gone by. Hurts that have not been healed. Disappointments that have never been remedied. Abuses of all kinds. Mistakes that we have made that have disappointed friends and families. And perhaps most painfully have disappointed ourselves. There are shortcomings. There are embarrassments. Things that we keep under lock and key. Things that we hope never get out. Things that we hope no one ever notices. There are people who can help us, but they cannot get in. Loved ones and friends could help us, but they don't have access to get in. Even pastors and counselors and teachers are locked out until someone, the keeper of the keys, hands over the keys and grants access into those places. The keeper of the keys won't let anybody in. The keeper of the keys has a death grip on the keys of your life. Who is the keeper of these keys? Who is that person that has everything locked away, that has your love locked up, that has your hurts locked up? Who is this who has shut up your gifts and your callings, whether they are used or not used by God? Who is this that has shut up the hurts and has locked away the key that no one can gain access? Who is it that refuses access to friends and loved ones and pastors and even to God? Who is the keeper of the keys? I submit to you today that you are the keeper of the keys of your life. Without your permission, your heart remains locked and inaccessible to God. Without your permission, your love remains bottled up and inaccessible and useless to the world. Without your consent, past hurts and failures and disappointments and bitterness remains locked away behind lock and key. And no one can enter in and fix it. And so you begin to rot from the inside out. Many people wonder, and this is the way we think. We think, but what if a person of greater authority were to come into my life? Won't they be able to get in? We have the little lady behind the glass. What if a guard walks up? What if the warden walks up? What if someone of greater authority walks up? Can't they just open the door? Can't they just get in? Won't the warden be able to get in? What about the guard? What about the pastor? Doesn't he have a word? What about the evangelist or the prophet? Surely, if I come to the special service, they're going to break into my life and they're going to do something. No, there is someone that has a greater authority in your life and it is the keeper of the keys. There is someone 
one that has all the authority in your life. And it is you. You are the one that decides whether or not today something gets in or whether something gets out. You have the authority and you have the power in the palms of your hands. You are the keeper of the keys today. There is something very startling in the text that I read to you today. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and I will dine with him and he with me. Can I tell you something very startling this morning? And it goes against our theology. But not even God will get past the keeper of the keys. You are waiting on God. God is waiting on you. We tend to think that God is going to come in and mess up our lives. And mess up our routine. And break into what we're doing. And we can sit on a church seat for years. Waiting for God to do something. And the whole time God is standing at the door knocking. And you stand behind the glass with the keys. If you'd hand the keys to God. God could get into your life. If you'd hand access to God. God would get into your life. If you are bitter and broken and hurting. You don't need to sit there and wait until something happens you need to open up and say God I grant you access today God I open the windows of my soul today I open the door today come in come in it sounds it sounds blasphemous to think that God will not override with his great power The delegated power that He has given to you. But God has created you in His image. And that means in part that you have a will. And that you have choice. And that you have the ability to make decisions for your life. It means that you are an autonomous being. It means that no one can force you to think away or to be away. God has granted this to you. We see this throughout Scripture. Jesus more than once came to someone who needed a miracle. And he'd ask a question. And he would say, do you want to be healed? And they would say, yes, Lord. And Jesus would say, according to your faith, so be it to you. The master of the universe is standing there. And he's asking someone if they want to be healed. But he's basically limiting himself to them. And he's saying, I stand ready to heal and deliver. But until somebody opens a door, I'm not doing a thing. Until somebody lets me in, I'm just going to stand here and knock. One of the stories in the Bible that constantly amazes me is the man that was laid at the pool of Bethesda. He had been laid there for several decades. He had spent his life practically at that pool. And there was this, we don't know, there's so much that we don't know about the story. The Bible says that there was this tradition among them. We don't know if it was really what happened or if it was the tradition just of the people. They had this tradition that when the waters were troubled, maybe there was a spring or something, we don't know. But they had a tradition that it was an angel that came and troubled the water. The first person that got in the water was healed. Now, the Bible never affirms that, says that's actually what happened. It just said this is what they thought. Maybe it is. We don't know. But here's the crux of the story. The crux of the story is Jesus is walking by the pool. And there's the man that's been laying there for all of his life. And Jesus looks at the man. And Jesus says, would you like to be made whole? And the man replies to Jesus, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. And that sounds like us coming to church year after year after year. 
We tell God of the reasons why He can't move in our lives. We give God the list of reasons why we can't have revival or why it won't work here or why He can't use us or why I am crippled or why I can't do something more. And He comes by and He says, Would you like to be healed? And the man says, well, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. What the man is saying is, we have this tradition of how you get healed around here, Jesus. And I don't fit in that tradition and it doesn't work for me. I don't know how it went down. But I have in my mind a Jesus who gets a little indignation in his face. Jesus comes and asks the man, would you like to be healed? And he says, I don't have a man. Jesus didn't ask you if you had a man. Jesus didn't ask you if you wanted to get in the water. Jesus didn't ask you about your tradition. Jesus asked, do you want to be made whole? Can I tell you, Jesus is in the miracle working business. And you can stand there with the doors locked. And you can stand behind the closed doors and tell him all the reasons why he can't. Or you can open the door and you can give him the keys and you can let him in and he'll do a healing work in your life. Jesus told that man, he said, get up, pick up your bed and go home. Can I tell you, he doesn't need the traditions that we have come to know. He doesn't even need Pentecostal traditions. Traditions are good. They're like little buckets that we carry our beliefs in and we need them. But at any moment, Jesus can intervene in the tradition. At any moment, Jesus can interrupt your plan and your disciplines and your lifestyle and your church culture and whatever you have. If anybody wants to be made whole... Give Jesus the keys to your life. Hallelujah. There's there's so many stories that illustrate this in the Bible. There's this demoniac. Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is just zigzagging across that little lake. It's not actually little. It's quite, quite a good size. He'll minister on one side. And then to avoid the crowds, he'll go to the other side. And then he'll go back. And some of the towns that are very prominent in his Galilean ministry circle that, that west, northwest side of the lake. On the other side of the lake, Jesus goes and there's this demoniac that comes to him. And the fascinating thing is the demoniac lived in the graveyards and he was chained and he'd break the chains. He had torn his clothes off. Nobody could tame him. He was possessed and, and, and he comes to Jesus. And when he sees Jesus... The Bible says that the man runs to Jesus and he falls down and he begins to worship him. Now, let me mess up your theology again here. We have a very mixed situation here. We have a man, Jesus asks, what's your name? The Spirit speaks out of him. It's not the man's name. The Spirit speaks out and says, legion for we are many. I want you to get this. The man is possessed by thousands of evil spirits. And the spirits cannot keep him from getting to Jesus. But when he gets to Jesus and he starts worshiping, the spirit is a vocal spirit and the spirit starts talking too. And so in one breath, the man is worshiping. In another breath, the spirit is talking. And you've got a three-part dialogue going on between the man and the demons and Jesus. I don't know what that does to your theology. But what it does to mine is it says it doesn't matter how good or bad you are. You don't have to get rid of the demon before you get to Jesus. You bring your demon to Jesus with you. And if you get the demon to Jesus, Jesus is able to get the demon out of you. Can I tell you, if you'll give the keys to Jesus, I don't care how long you've been locked up. I don't care how long you've been broken. I don't care how many devils you've got. Bring it to Jesus. Bring the devils to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. Open up to Jesus. 
Oh, why don't we give God some praise right now? Why don't you lift your voices and give God some praise in this place right now? Come on, lift that voice and give him praise in this house. He is worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. 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 I wonder if anybody wants to be free. You are the keeper of the keys. You're the keeper of the theological arguments. You're the keeper of the explanations. You're the keeper of what's happened to you in the past. Even things in the church, the organized church, the institutionalized church, the denominational church... It's a human structure and system that we do our best to get along in life, but it's still fallible because we're people and we make mistakes. And sometimes those experiences in a church hurt and they cause fractures. And it causes us to close doors and lock doors. I've seen people come in to our church who have lived for God longer than I've been alive, but they're done. They're through. They've closed the door. They've locked the door. Why? Something happened somewhere else a long time ago. They've closed the door and they've locked it and they won't give anybody the key. It doesn't matter what quality of preacher we bring. It doesn't matter how powerful of a move of God. It doesn't matter about the miracles and signs and wonders. They sit all stew-faced on a pew and they're not going to budge. Why? Because there's only one person in their life that can open the door and he ain't opening the door. Perhaps the most startling fact in the text that I read to you is the fact that Jesus is standing outside the door of the church. Just because God has done things for us in our past does not mean we can lock the door and throw away the key on what God wants to do in the future. I don't have time, so hold another sermon. I'll just kind of hit a few highlights. There was a curse that God sent on the children of Israel in the wilderness because of their rebellion. And it was a fiery serpents that would, or, or serpents that would bite them and they would die. The remedy for that was God told Moses, he said, you make a brass serpent that looks like those serpents and you put that thing up on a pole. And everyone that looks on that brass serpent that has the similitude and the likeness of the real serpents will be saved from the bite of the real serpent. What a glorious type of Jesus Christ who has the appearance of a sinner. And he looks like a sinner. But if you look at him, you have deliverance and you have victory from the real sting of sin that you encounter in your life. That snake was lifted up. It was a method and it was a tool that God used. It was a way that they had revival. It was a method that God used. They went along. They forgot about the snake. It wound up in storage somewhere. About 800 years later, somebody was cleaning out a storeroom and they found the snake. And they remembered the story of how powerful the snake was. So what did they do? 
well, if this is what God did 800 years ago, then surely this must be what God wants to do today. And the Bible says they started worshiping that snake. And it brought a curse from God on them. Why? They couldn't separate the method and the means that God used in the past from the God who was in the method and the God who was in it. I want to tell you that no matter what has happened in your past, and even as a church, we cannot lock it up and say, well, this is the way it started in the systems. Hey, God wants to do something powerful and mighty if the church will open the door. He is standing at the door knocking and we can either defend 30 years ago or we can say, God, move however you want to move. You can do it here. You can do it now. You can do whatever you want to do. Hey, I want you to know that I don't care how long you've known the Lord and I don't care how old the church gets. God has not finished showing His glory and He has not finished showing His miraculous hand. There are more things God wants to do in you. There are more things God wants to do in the church. I want to tell you one of the dangers. We've been through, we went through a big building program several years ago. I understand your struggles through that and I rejoice when Pastor Brown was telling me the story of this great miracle and it was exciting and it's beautiful and you're extraordinarily blessed. I heard stories from various people and, and uh, coming from various places, Brother Dean and various places sharing the excitement. But here's, and I'm not here to throw water on that because I throw water on our testimonies at home and here's why. What happens is, I know what happened in our building program. We start living for this big vision and this big dream. We're going to get a building. We're going to have a nice building. And if only we get a building, then we could have revival. And we push and we push and we push and we push. And we finally get that. And the tendency then is to sit down and say, okay, we fought the big battle. Now we're just going to sit here and see how God might move. You have not fought the big battle. You have only been on the foundation. You now have a foundation for revival. You have not begun to build even what God wants to do. I want to challenge you. Give Him the keys. Give Him the opportunity. Open up the windows of your soul and your spirit. Open the windows of this church and let God be God in this place, I want you to see through eyes of faith. You can have a big church in South Dakota. You can start more churches in South Dakota. You can go across the border into North Dakota. You can go across the border into Kansas. You can do whatever God wants you to do, but you got to give Him the keys. you got to give Him the keys of your vision and the keys of your burden and the keys of your church. You are the keeper of the keys. I want to encourage you not to assume that you have experienced everything God has for you. You haven't seen every manifestation God wants to show you. You haven't seen every valley that God wants to bring you through. But somebody has to hand over the keys. I beg you, don't lock Jesus out of your future. Don't have Jesus knocking on the door of the church in Watertown saying, if you just let me in, I'd come in. But you figured it out already. You've got a church already. You're sophisticated already. You have professionals in your church. You're known in the community. Can I tell you, all of that is good and needful. But we've got to give Jesus the keys to the church and the keys to our hearts. Can I tell you this? When your stories of what God did for the past take more effort and energy and talent and time and are more of a focus than your vision for the future, you've already begun to die. As individuals, if you're parked on what God did 30 years ago and somewhere else, if you're parked on what you heard of a missionary or on a website or on YouTube somewhere, 
or if you're remembering your childhood, or if you think that five years ago, three years ago, God did the big stuff. And if that's where you're constantly looking is in the rear view mirror, you have already begun to lock the door and the lock is beginning to rust. Can I tell you before it gets totally corroded, would you give Jesus the keys? He's not done yet. He's not finished yet. There is more to come. Even with the best intentions, we institutionalized what has worked in the past. And what this means is we build walls and we install doors. And it means we lock those doors. We, the church, are the keeper of the keys. God is not going to kick down the door for revival. But He stands at the door and He knocks. And he wants a willing vessel. And he wants a willing heart. And he wants a willing church. He wants somebody that has the keys to just walk up, stick it in the door, and unlock the door, and let him come in. We are the keeper of the keys. We have more power than we think we have. We bind and loose. We forbid and we let We are the ones that preach or not preach. Jesus told his apostles, he said, whoever sins you remit or remitted and whosoever you retain or retained. Don't underestimate the authority that we have. Don't underestimate the power of an apostolic believer who has the name, the king's name, the kingdom name engraved on you, called over you in the waters of baptism. You are the representative, the ambassador, the emissary of God in this city. We have that authority. He stands at the door and he knocks. And we are the keeper of the keys. I was praying even this weekend. Again, thanks for the wonderful accommodations. It was a great place to pray. I was praying, God, I've been in in pastoral ministry for 27 years. I'm getting too old to change very much. I got to thinking, God, What latent gifts are in here that haven't come out yet? Because I haven't given you the keys. Because I'm building on what I know. I'm building on what's obvious. I'm building on what you've done in the past. But what do you want to do in the future? How do you want to gift us in the future? I want to encourage you to ask God to let those seeds Those seeds of gifting and those seeds of calling that are in you. You may have served in a particular way for a long time. That doesn't mean that there aren't dormant seeds inside of you. That under the right conditions can be watered and can come to pass. It is true in the deserts of Africa that sometimes seeds will lay dormant in an African desert for decades waiting on rain. And when the rain hits that desert, it'll turn that desert into a field of wildflowers. The seeds have been there all along. They're just waiting for the right conditions. Can I tell you the right conditions could bring out new gifting and it could bring out new calling and it could bring out new anointing in your life. Hallelujah. 
I know this is not a minister's meeting, but when I preach to young preachers, I tell them, don't let yourself get pigeonholed into some little category of, oh, he's a good teacher. Oh, he's a good preacher. No, 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 no. You need to seize every gift you can. You need to grab every bit of anointing you can. If you're going to do it, do it with all of your might. If you're going to teach, get your face in a book. If you're going to pray, get your face in the carpet. But you need to let God use you and anoint you. Give him some keys. Let him open some doors in your life. Let him make some room. And let him get inside and let him work and let him deliver and let him heal. Hallelujah. I see people week after week and they struggle with bitterness and brokenness and hurts. And yes, they, yes, 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 they were wronged and they were offended and they were abused. Yes, yes. But Jesus stands at the door. And he's saying, if you'll just give me a key, I'll come in and I'll commune with you. I'll have dinner with you. The Lord of glory, creator of heaven and earth says, I'll sit down with you in intimate fellowship and we'll visit and we'll be friends. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. If you'll open up. Can I ask you today? Are you willing to unleash something in your life? Are you willing to unleash some things in your life? Are you willing to unleash some healing, some anointing, and some revival, and some new dimension thinking, and some new eras? Oh, there's there's some areas that you haven't even thought of. What I'm suggesting to you today is you just hand him the whole key ring. I'm not even asking you today to try to identify anything. I preached this one time, and I had one of the Hobby Lobbies closed on Sunday. Bless their heart, they're Christians. I preached this before at the big old set of keys. I wish I had brought them with me on this trip. Jesus doesn't want you to say, oh, yes, there's that part right there. I'm going to let you there. He wants you to take the whole set. and He wants you to hold it up to him. And he wants to say, here you go. It's your, it's your kingdom. It's not mine. And let him in. Let him in. We're professional. We know the doctrine. We know how to have church, and we should. But many times in a service like this, not one time do we ever even ponder letting God into that place. Because we've already locked that door. And we've already hung that key on the wall. God wants to do something right now. I could preach more, but it wouldn't help. I want us to stand right now. I want us to respond to the Spirit. Would you just begin to lift your voices? I wonder if there's somebody here today that, by faith, it's a family here today. There's no reason for any embarrassment or shame. But if you you need something, or let, let me just say it this way, if you desire something from God, if you would believe that maybe there's something more in my life, there's something more in my church. Would you, would you step out by faith and say, God, I'm the keeper of the keys today. But I want to give you permission. I want to give you access. God, I want to give you entry. Lord, you have my calling. You have my gifting, Lord. You have my family. You have my finance. You have my health, my emotions, Lord. You have my hurts, my joys, my pains. God, you have my past, my present, my future.
Oh, that's it. Keeper of the key, would you just hand those keys to him right now? Some things that you have fought for are not worth fighting for. Some positions you have taken are not worth defending. They are distracting you from the kingdom. They are distracting you from kingdom work. Would you let him have that key? Would you let him have that key? Would you grant him access right now? That's it. Would you grant him access right now? Would you grant him access right now? Come on, some of you fight battles you have no business fighting. Give it to the Lord today. Some of you are hiding areas of your life from him that you will not give him. Would you give it to him? Would you give him even the strong points in your life? Would you give him even the gifting and calling in your life? Would you let God get into your business right now? Oh, hallelujah. Would you let him into your business right now? That's it, everyone. Would you pray right now? From front to back, left to right, children, adults, youth, everyone. Could we just join together in seeking after the Lord right here for a moment? God, open up, Lord, areas of my life and heart and spirit, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God, I pray that you would come in. I pray that you would begin to heal, Lord. I pray that you would begin to minister, Lord. pray that you would begin to set captives free, Lord. I pray that you would do deep works, Lord, that we may not even be aware that we need today. God, I pray that you would loose things inside of us.